Welcome to this episode of the Modern Law Library. I'm Ashley Alfervik from ABA Publishing, and I'll be today's host. In this episode, I speak with Heidi K. Brown, the author of The Introverted Lawyer, A Seven-Step Journey Towards Authentically Powered Advocacy. Heidi is a law professor at the Brooklyn Law School and a former litigator in the construction industry. She embraced her introverted nature after forcing an extroverted persona through law school and nearly 20 years of law practice. She champions the power of quiet law students and lawyers to be impactful advocates and authentically themselves. In this episode, we'll discuss how to accept and embrace the strength of the introverted lawyer. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, just to start, can you talk a little bit about your experience as a quiet lawyer in the construction industry and how that led to this book? Sure. It kind of started a little bit before that when I entered law school. So in college, I was a good student. I loved researching and writing. But, you know, we can kind of get away in college with not raising our hands so much or not being cold called. And I did well in college. So it was kind of shocking and alarming when I got to law school and professors wore governing the classroom by the Socratic method, where they just call on students and we have to have these strong opinions about these important legal issues. And I somewhat faltered in that environment, and I I wasn't really sure why. I, I felt like I was doing the reading, I was prepared for class, I loved my writing assignments, but the performance aspects of law school somewhat rattled me. But I thought I was the only one that was struggling with that, and I thought if I just fake it till I make it or just kept doing it, I would get better at it. So I ended up landing a summer associate position at a really great law firm in Northern Virginia that happened to practice construction law. And I didn't set out in law school to be a construction lawyer, but I ended up with this awesome summer associate job. And again, I felt like I'm just going to throw myself into this, see how I do. And I loved the research and writing aspects of my job. I got to do a lot of brief writing and memoranda and opinion letters. But again, I was sort of struggling with the performance aspects of my job. Anytime I was asked to go speak to an important partner or an intimidating client, I experienced a lot of anxiety about the speaking part or having to speak on my feet. I ended up working there both my summers in law school and then after I graduated. And again, I just really had trouble with depositions and negotiations and courtroom appearances because I thought I had to fake this bravado, this extroverted persona. And I kept doing that. And it just felt really inauthentic and uncomfortable and and stressful. But I just did that really honestly for 15 years. Every time I had to go perform, I felt anxiety and felt like I had to be this sort of loud, fist-pounding, aggressive litigator, which really didn't fit my personality type. But I didn't realize that that's why I felt so uncomfortable. And it really took me starting to teach law. About 15 years into my litigation career, I got the opportunity to teach legal writing And I noticed in that first year that my best, strongest legal writers, my most insightful students, my most energetic problem solvers, creative problem solvers, also struggled with the performance aspects of being a law student, oral arguments, speaking in class. And that's when I finally started studying myself, first of all, and understanding the differences between introversion and extroversion, and also introversion, the difference between introversion and social anxiety, I finally understood who I was and why those performance scenarios, faking extroversion felt so uncomfortable. And then I realized how I could help myself by being more authentic and then in turn help my students. 
and that's what led me to write the book. I really processed all that information and tried to put it into a readable format and a formula where law students and junior attorneys who are struggling with some of the same performance anxieties that I struggled with could actually do something about it and be our most impactful advocate selves by being who we really are instead of faking a different persona. Great. And thank you so much. I think a lot of introverts, uh, myself included, will find your book really relatable and a lot of the experiences you talk about. So in the book, you discuss three types of quietness, introversion, shyness, and social anxiety. Can you explain the differences for our listeners? Sure. So introversion and extroversion are really descriptions of the way we process stimuli and information and also how we replenish energy. And I'll describe those in a second. Those are very different characteristics from shyness and social anxiety. Shyness and social anxiety, well, first of all, shyness is a fear of judgment or criticism when we step into a social engagement or a professional performance engagement. Some of us experience this this level of fear of being judged or criticized or failing and we might sense shame or embarrassment. And when that shyness rises to the level that it sort of interferes with our day-to-day functioning, either socially or professionally, that can rise to the level of social anxiety. So I'll talk about introversion and extroversion first. Like I said, it really is a description of how we as individuals process a lot of competing stimuli, noise, sound, smells, activity, and information being thrown at us, and then also how we need to replenish our energy levels. So I did a lot of research on this when I was writing my book, and scientists have actually shown that introverts and extroverts use two completely different neurological pathways when we process information and questions and stimuli. So introverts use this really long pathway. So when someone asks us a question, say in the classroom or the courtroom or in the boardroom, it kind of takes us a while because we go really deeply into our brains and we process strengths and weaknesses of how we want to respond and we sort of edit ourselves and vet and test theories even, even in the minutes that it takes us to respond or engage in a conversation. Whereas extroverts use a shorter pathway, so it can be much faster between the time that someone asks a question and an extrovert responds because an extrovert is speaking aloud to get to the right answer. And so extroverts come across as much more comfortable in speaking because it's faster for them to jump into the fray or jump into a conversation. So introverts tend to think a lot before we speak. We tend to prefer writing over speaking. I sometimes joke that I can have an entire relationship or conversations over text message because I'm much more eloquent instead of talking on the phone. But on the strength side, Introverts are very active listeners, very creative problem solvers, deep thinkers. I mentioned thoughtful writing. Introverts can really put a lot of time and thought and care into producing a written work product because they really thrive in that environment. And the other thing that my research showed is that quieter folks tend to exhibit a lot of empathy because they're really listening to the person across the table from them. So those are assets that I believe introverts bring to the legal profession. And then on the shyness and social anxiety front, I mentioned this fear of judgment or criticism. So you can actually be an extrovert, but experience this sense of fear of faltering or failing in a performance scenario. You don't have to be an introvert to be shy or 
socially anxious. And in fact, there are many introverts that aren't shy or socially anxious at all. So it's important for us as individuals to really try to understand the, the differences between those three categories and figure out whether we're just naturally quiet and process information internally, and then we need to be alone to replenish energy. And we realize that maybe networking events or the courtroom scenario or other really high, highly stimulating environments drain us, and then we need to retreat to solitude or, or quietude to replenish, or whether we have this added layer of anxiety about judgment or criticism from other people. Definitely. And I think a lot of introverts would agree that while we can be socially energetic, we do need to recharge from alone time. So how can introverted lawyers know when they need to reset and what can they do in social situations where they feel that their energy is sapped? Yes, that is a a very real thing that happens to introverts. So we can be highly skilled and highly functioning at engaging socially and professionally, whether it's networking or at parties or at, I do a lot of legal conferences where there's tons of people around. And introverts can be really good at that because we can go very deeply into one-on-one conversations and, and really connect with people on a, on a deep level. But then we can feel at a certain point that we're hitting a wall. I, I, since I'm a New Yorker, I kind of like to describe it as suddenly realizing you feel like you're in Times Square with all the noise and the chaos and the energy and the motion. And for me, I can honestly feel my energy getting sapped. And so what I've, I've learned to honor that in myself, I used to feel like I just had to keep going and just do it and put myself into the scenario and stay as long as everybody else stayed. But now I realize that I really thrive and perform at my peak when I set boundaries for myself and give myself permission to leave. I really make my time at those types of events meaningful but I honor the fact that I'm just probably not going to stay until the bitter end. <laughs> and so it's really helped me invest a lot of energy and focus and concentration on the individuals I interact with in those scenarios. But when I feel that I'm hitting that wall, I just you know respectfully and, and gracefully set a boundary for myself and, and allow myself to leave so I can replenish that energy. And, and for me, that replenishment means being alone, quiet, no noise, reading a book or working out or or just listening to music or something that can really replenish me. Extroverts tend to replenish energy by gaining that spark from other people, whereas introverts really do hit that wall and need to retreat to a quiet office or their quiet home or their car or put headphones on or, or something like that that really allows them that space and quietude to replenish. Definitely. And thank you. So the second half of the book focuses on a seven-step program to accept your inner introvert and become a more authentic, effective version of your lawyer self. How is your public speaking courses that you offer similar to the plan you've written in this book? The public speaking courses I offer are very similar to the plan in the book because as I was writing the book, I realized, okay, the first half is really about honoring the differences between introverts and extroverts and highlighting the strengths that quiet folks bring to the legal profession. But then obviously all lawyers, no matter what type of law we practice or what scenarios we're in, we need to be able to speak and converse and interact about the law with vigor and enthusiasm. So the second half of the book is this process that 
I developed first to help myself understand my introversion and but be able to amplify my voice in an authentic way instead of faking it like I did through the first 15 years of my career. So the seven steps I developed are very similar to some workshops that I focused on for my students who were nervous about the oral argument competition that most law schools have in the spring semester of the first year of law school where students write briefs and then perform oral arguments. And I found when I was doing the research for my book, many of my students were experiencing the same extreme levels of anxiety that I experienced in law school around the oral argument. So I put together these workshops to help us walk through really the seven steps that I developed in the book. And I'm currently putting together some workshops on the notion of fear in lawyering, so not just public speaking anxiety, but general fear towards performance aspects of our job, which is very normal, but we just don't talk about it very much. So the seven steps really breaks down to two steps of reflection, two steps of action, and then setting up a plan to intentionally step into performance scenarios that bring us anxiety, having a pregame and game day plan, and then reflecting upon those events and what we can change going forward. So the first two steps, the two reflection pieces, are a mental reflection piece where we really sit down and look at what is going on in our minds when we experience anxiety towards interacting with others and really listening to the messages that, unfortunately, we we tell ourselves that aren't so helpful. And it's really remarkable when you sit down to reflect on what am I hearing in my head as I'm about to step into this courtroom or this deposition. And it's it's stuff that we've been telling ourselves for years, but we haven't really sat down and transcribed the words. So that's the mental reflection piece. And then the physical reflection piece is really kind of fun. And my student, my law student's and the junior lawyers that I've worked with realize, wow, you know, I'm doing things physically that my body is reacting in an instinctive manner to protect me because it thinks I'm in a fear-inducing environment. But sometimes the things we do physically aren't really helping our energy, blood, and oxygen flow, and it's making our anxiety worse. So the first two steps are mental reflection and physical reflection. The third and fourth steps are kind of flipping that upside down and having a new mental plan and a physical plan, a physical action plan. Step five is making a list of all these types of experience that might might bring us anxiety and organizing them in terms of least anxiety to most anxiety producing. And then the sixth step is coming up with a pregame plan and a game day plan for each of those events so we can step into them really with deliberation and and a conscious, mindful action plan instead of just barreling into it like the whole just do it or fake it till you make it mentality. And then the seventh step, as I mentioned, is a reflection piece where we look at each event and then process what we did great and then maybe what we can adjust for next time. Definitely. And um, so I wanted to ask a few questions about the steps that combine mental reflection and then changes. Um, So After identifying the negative messages we tell ourselves, you encourage quiet lawyers to develop coping statements and reinvention assertions. How are these different from positive affirmations? In my opinion, they're somewhat similar to positive affirmations, although I've read a lot of material about positivity and positive self-talk, which can be criticized, and especially in the legal professions, sometimes it might come across as too touchy-feely, but I'm a big fan of of those positive affirmations. 
And so I kind of regard them as, as very similar. But instead of just focusing on the positive and, you know, kind of wearing T-shirt slogans that empower us, this to me is more practical than that. And not, not that there's anything wrong with any of that. I, I own many inspirational uh, T-shirt slogans. But what I'm saying is for lawyers and law students to have these positive affirmations in our minds as we enter into these events is so important because what it does is in the moment when you feel those negative messages returning, which they do, it's just our instinct. We've probably been listening to them for many years. These positive affirmations tell us, hey, wait a minute. Remember, you've prepared for this. You have done the work. You know what you're talking about. You're entitled to have a voice. It doesn't need to be perfect. You have a plan. Stick to the plan. Now go in there and do it. So for me, it's not just about sort of touchy-feely positivity. It's, oh, wait, I remember. I have this action plan, these mental messages that are relevant to this particular event right now, and I'm going to say them to myself to stop my slippery slope of going the other direction, and I'm going to recalibrate and refocus on the task at hand. So I find that these coping statements or, quote, you know, reinvention assertions or positive affirmations, whatever we want to call them, are just really important for for kind of stopping that negative spin cycle that our brains take us down sometimes and getting us back on track and refocusing on the task at hand. Definitely. And um, one thing that seemed really true throughout some of the coping statements you provide is, you know, this is the way that I am and I've prepared and I'm strong and what's the worst that could happen if this situation doesn't go perfectly. So I felt, you know, you really provide a a realistic and very down to earth kind of coping statements and coping examples. So what do you think are some keys to coming up with a good coping card or some of these expressions for yourself? It really helped me to get very raw and vulnerable and frankly, kind of uncomfortable by listening to the negative messages and writing them down because I needed to listen to the negative stuff and be very accurate about what I had been telling myself really for two decades and transcribing that language to then realize, oh, wait, these are just messages that I probably heard 25 years ago from a you know, a well-intentioned but perhaps misguided teacher or a coach or even a family member or a friend And I had to realize for myself, that statement is not relevant. It's outdated. It has nothing to do with this deposition I'm about to take or this oral argument I'm about to deliver or this speech I'm about to give. So I needed to come up with reminders that I have done this work. I have invested the time researching and writing the brief or preparing the deposition outline and I literally had to write down, you've done the work, you're prepared for this, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years, you know what you're talking about, you have a different way of saying things, that's okay. And so I think just getting really raw and vulnerable and honest with yourself is so important. And the beauty of these statements is nobody has to know about them except you. So you can say whatever works for you. And it might seem goofy or silly or embarrassing if someone else were to read them, but they're not going to. So to me, it it might seem a little odd, but I tell myself those same things over and over and over again before every event. And somehow it works. It just snaps me out of the, again, slippery slope of going down the negative path and 
just in 30 seconds can make me refocus on what I'm about to do. And it just takes the pressure off me having to feel like I have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect. I have to be real. And those statements are my coping statements that help me just step aside from the negative stuff and really focus on all the work that I put into being prepared for the event. And another thing that you speak about that can cause a transformation very quickly, more than you realize, is um, those physical changes. So my father always told me to take tough calls standing up. And um, you talk about using physical action to change your body's reaction to stress and anxiety. So how is this different from that fake it till you make it mentality that, you know, you want to reject? And what postures do you think are most effective? I love the expression you just mentioned about standing up because when I was studying my introversion and my anxiety, I used to have to do a lot of uh, conference calls for my law firm. And I realized when I was on a conference call, I would just instinctively stand up. Even though no one could see me, I was standing up because it helped me calm my heart rate down and, and project my voice better and interrupt when I didn't really feel comfortable interrupting. So in studying this, in analyzing introversion, but also the social anxiety, I came across a great TED Talk by a sociologist called Amy Cuddy, and she describes how if we stand or sit in a power pose, and she describes several power poses. One is standing like a superhero or putting your hands behind your head with your feet propped up on a a boardroom desk. And you sit like that for several minutes before a performance scenario, it really does something to boost your internal power. And so I started doing that, and it's kind of comical now. I know before a presentation, I'll be the person pacing in the hallway doing my power pose or hiding in the restroom, or even you can do it right in front of people and they don't even realize you're doing it. So in addition to that, I started studying how athletes stand and when they're preparing when a tennis player is preparing to receive a serve or a football player is at the line of scrimmage or a ballet dancer is getting ready to move or even musicians too, when they're getting ready to take the microphone, you see these performers standing or sitting like an athlete, very balanced, ready to move in either direction. And I started practicing that myself because I realized in my physical reflection part of my seven step process I tend to fold up like a paper airplane when I'm nervous. So my arms cross, my legs cross, I hunch down. And that was just making my heart rate faster. My my breath was more labored. I tend to blush a lot. So I was really constricting myself and that would exacerbate my blush. But these standing and sitting like an athlete or using Amy Cuddy's power pose suggestions really helped me maximize my energy, blood, and oxygen flow in a way that never did before. So I highly recommend really treating yourself like an athlete when you're standing there at a podium or even sitting in a chair in a meeting or in the classroom or in in the courtroom waiting to speak. It really helps. So the ABA mid-year meeting is coming up at the end of January, but networking with more extroverted lawyers can be a little intimidating. What are some of your game day tips for networking as an introvert? Yes. So legal conferences can be very draining for an introvert. They're really fun and I love going to them, 
But as an introvert, I had to learn, oh, okay, I'm probably going to hit a wall at the end of a long nine or 10 hour day. So I needed to come up with better strategies for planning ahead. So I do a lot of research in advance and I tend to look at conference schedules, see who the speakers are, and I make an agenda for myself before I get to the event so I know who's going to be there and who I might gravitate toward or feel comfortable speaking to or even just listening to until I get my bearings. So I tend to also go to some of the the vendor displays and see what books are there, see if any of those authors might be there as well. So I just do a lot of quiet legwork. And then when I gear up to go to the event, I make sure that I build breaks in for myself. And for a lot of introverts, the coffee breaks or the networking breaks or the lunches can also be draining or even intimidating. So I try to plan ahead and and try and identify if some of the speakers are going to be at those networking events. I might even reach out to them over email so I at least know I have a couple people that I can look for or talk to. And when I attend the various sessions, I try to walk up to the speakers afterwards and just make eye contact, introduce myself. And then instead of feeling like I have to give out business cards or things like that, I tend to reach out to people over social media, either LinkedIn or over email. And it just takes the pressure off of me to feel like at these conferences, I have to distribute tons of business cards or get tons of business cards. I just do my networking more in a quiet way. And I I use the agenda of the conference to track down speakers I'm interested in and then follow up with them or make coffee appointments with them during the breaks instead of having to rush into situations or thrust myself into situations where I don't know anybody. And that really helps. I also build in breaks for myself. So if if I don't really want to stay at an entire lunch session, I might give myself a little break just to replenish my energy so I can go back into the next part of the lunch or next session with renewed energy. And that's just something that introverts need to honor in themselves and respect and, and not apologize for it. It's, it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength because we can go really deeply one-on-one with people in these networking conversations. Definitely. Well, thank you for that advice. And um, something that brings to mind when you talk about, you know, honoring uh, your introversion and honoring yourself, um, I found your writing very reminiscent of uh, Brene Brown. And um, you quote several other writers in this book. So who are some of your favorite inspirational authors? I have so many inspirational authors that I admire so much. So I, I kind of have different categories. So for the creative process, because as, a, as an introvert, as a writer, as a teacher, and as a, a lawyer, a former lawyer who wrote a lot of briefs, I read a lot of books about the creative process. And Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, is an author that I really admire, and I've read all of her books. Stephen Pressfield is an author who writes about the creative process, and he wrote The War of Art. And it's a really good, small, quick read for lawyers who want to delve into their creativity. And then the choreographer Twyla Tharp also wrote a creative process book that I really found useful. Then there are tons of of law-related books that really have helped me as, as an introvert. I've Randall Kaiser, who I consider a friend, wrote this great book called Soft Skills for Effective Lawyers. And as an introvert, I found that book helpful for really tapping into softer skills of listening to other people, having empathy, emotional intelligence. 
then I've read other books about leadership. Um, Christopher Cook wrote a book called The Compassionate Achiever that I found really helpful and inspiring too. And I could go on and on about books and authors that I found <laughs> very inspiring and motivating as I've started to learn more about myself as an authentic advocate. Speaking of writing and other authors, you have a new book coming out soon? Yes, I'm very excited. This is sort of a sequel to The Introverted Lawyer, but I found that as I was talking to lawyers about introversion and amplifying our voices in an authentic manner, I had a lot of law students and lawyers come up to me and say or write to me and say, hey, I'm not an introvert, but I'm really kind of scared to go to court or take my first deposition or talk to the partner or the client about some bad news. So I started researching and writing a book called Untangling Fear in Lawyering. And again, it's sort of a four-step process to developing courage and fortitude and character. And that book will be out in March of 2019, so in a couple months. I'm very excited and nervous and fearful about it, but uh, I'm excited about it. Great. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. This process in writing this book and and the upcoming book has really allowed me to talk to a lot of law students and lawyers in our profession who have so much to bring to the profession, but feel like they've had to force a different personality or different persona. And I I really love that we've started this conversation about how we can be ourselves and maybe be a slightly amplified version of ourselves, but really contributing to our well-being and happiness and health in the profession is, is so important. And being authentic. And as you mentioned, Brene Brown, as Brene Brown writes about vulnerability and and other authors write about humility, it's just so important for us as lawyers, even though we're in a very tough, strong profession, to be real and genuine and authentic and vulnerable. And I I really feel that's going to go a long way towards a healthier profession. So I appreciate the opportunity to continue that conversation. Well, thank you for being on the show. And if our listeners are interested in learning more about your writing or more about you, uh, what's the best way for them to find you? So I do have a website called theintrovertedlawyer.com, but you can also reach me at my Brooklyn Law School email address, which is Heidi.brown at brooklaw.edu. And I'm also on LinkedIn and I love Instagram. So I'm there as well as introverted lawyer. And I, I appreciate and love hearing from people about these topics and love collaborating. So I'd I'd love to hear from any of you. Great. Uh, Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Listeners, you can buy Heidi's book in our web store at AmericanBar.org slash products. That's AmericanBar.org slash products. Use the code intro19 at checkout for an extra 30% off. That's intro19. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service.